0: Welcome to Destination History, where we tackle interesting and fascinating places and take a stroll through the history behind them. Today's destination sees us visit another listener request. For this very special listener, we learn about this simply massive estate and the amazing and influential historical figures that have called it home or just wandered its halls. There are always things going on at this destination. In fact, its first owner declared that the place should always be used for entertainment. Join me as we take a look at today's destination Aldthorpe. <coughs> Believed to have originally come from Normandy, the Spencers, then going by Despenser, is said to have arrived in England in 1066. It seems for a couple hundred years that they kept themselves busy, because by the time 1486 came around, the Spencers are decently well established with a flock of sheep and good grazing land. The family had proved very good sheep grazers, and through their wool production became quite well off. So much so that during a time when nobility was only bestowed upon families for things like going to war, being politically minded, or being born into the royal institution, the Spencers were created nobles because of their economic strengths. Quite the feat. In 1508, John Spencer, who at the time was a sheep grazer in Warwickshire, decided to buy land that would house all Thorpe, and by 1512 he'd gotten the appropriate licences to make a park out of his land. John built the original Allthorpe in 1508, which would go on to house 19 generations of his family. Over the centuries, the house has been renovated and added to. A big one was the renovation of the 18th century. George, who was the second Earl at the time, decided that he needed something a little grander than a red brick Tudor mansion. And so, under the watchful eye of architect Henry Holland, improvements were made. In fact, Most of the features of the house that we can admire today, and which give the house its grade 1 listing, were added by Henry Holland, like the four Corinthian columns at the front of the house and the mathematical tiles which were made to look like brick for the exterior of the attic. The house itself, once Holland was done with it, was a two-storey house with a main block housing an entrance court and wings projecting out. Art and architectural historian Sir Nicholas Pevsner even said this about the Grand Hall. The noblest Georgian room in the country. When another John in the family became the 5th Earl in 1857, he set about tweaking the house throughout the 1870s and even remodelled the gardens. In fact, the Arboretum that sits just to the north was started in the 1820s, and today is home to over 160 different tree species. And the formal gardens that you see in the north and west of the main house were designed by W.M. Toulon in 1860. Throughout the Second World War, the house managed to avoid being used as a military base, and so the estate stables stepped up for the job. As a noble family, it's understandable that the Spencers would have multiple homes. The family was so concerned about air raids that Spencer House in London was emptied of family artworks and belongings. These items were moved to Allthorpe for safekeeping. After the war, the world was changing and heavy taxes were starting to hit the family pretty hard. So in 1953, the decision was made to open the house to the public to help raise funds for the taxes. It was around this time, the time of the 8th Earl that a wine cellar was added to the property. Althorpe was now a wine estate and started producing its own wine. Unfortunately, it didn't really take off. The estate's most famous resident, while there have been many, is arguably the late Diana, Princess of Wales. Before becoming a princess, Diana grew up at Althorpe with her siblings. Her younger brother is actually the current Earl Spencer. In fact, after her death, Diana was interred on the estate. She lays at rest on a small island in the middle of the lake in the gardens. There's even a small temple overlooking the lake bearing her name, but we'll touch on this again a little later. Alrighty, now that we have a general history of the place, let's have a squeeze at the people who lived inside the building. We're only going to touch upon a small selection. The Spencer family seem to have every kind of person in their heritage that can be. The list includes gamblers, politicians, preachers, admirals, courtiers, charity book pioneers, book lovers, and even a champion bull breeder. Quite an eclectic bunch. And because they all lived in Orthorpe at one time or another, each has left their mark upon the building. First up, we have Sir John Spencer. He was the bloke who kicked the whole thing off. He was the sheep grazer who bought the land and built his house in 1508. But Awthorpe wasn't his only house. He originally lived in Wormleyton, Warwickshire, where he had another house and estate, but during the English Civil War, it was pretty much destroyed. So instead of rebuilding, he decided to move and start over in a new place. About a century later, in 1603, Sir Robert Spencer was graced with the title of Baron Spencer by James I or Sixth, depending on your persuasion, supposedly for his wealth and support of the incoming monarch. In their book, The Country Houses of Northamptonshire, Hewitt and Taylor describe old Rob as reputed to have the most money of any person in the kingdom. That's quite the statement, but I suppose it can be believed. He did, after all, entertain Queen Liz, the original edition at Awthorpe, and future members of his family, namely his son William, the second baron, were members of the royal court. Our first notable female we'll discuss is Sarah Marlborough. Throughout her lifetime, Sarah was quite the influencer, especially in her relationship with Queen Anne. Originally, she was relatively poor and things didn't really seem like they were going to change when she married also relatively poor John Churchill, but he pulled through as one of Britain's top commanders and ended up becoming the first Duke of Marlborough. Now, you might be thinking, what has this got to do with the Spencers, some Churchills and Marlboroughs? But actually, the Spencers and the Churchills are related by blood, one of Sarah's daughters, Anne married Charles Spencer, who at the time was the third Earl of Sunderland and owner of Althorpe, but it was Anne's son John, Sarah's favourite grandson, that really took the family far. Sarah gave practically her whole fortune to little John, who would go on to father the first Earl Spencer, quite the connection. Now, up until this point, the Earls of Sunderland, last name Spencer, had lived at Althorpe. But when Charles Spencer, the 9th Earl of Sunderland, inherited the dukedom of Marlborough in 1733, he had to forego the beloved Althorp. It's a bit confusing why, but basically, it was a family agreement made way back that Charles was honouring. So Althorp, the house and estate, went to Charles's younger brother, John. And it was this John, the son of Sarah's favourite grandson, also named John, who seemed to use his wealth wisely. He loved art and so became quite the patron. And more than that, he was the one who built Spencer House in London, literally down the road from Buckingham Palace, and commissioned all the paintings from Joshua Reynolds, quite the sought-after portrait artist at the time. But it was in 1761 that he was given the title of Baron and Viscount Spencer and has that upgraded to L. Spencer about four years later. Now that we have our first earl, it's time to meet our first countess. Georgiana Points was the wife of the first earl and they had quite the wedding story, which we'll get into a little bit later, but it's pretty romantic. After the first earl died, Georgiana was doomed to live a long widowhood, but instead of wallowing away, she decided to use her time for charity. She devoted herself to encouraging Sunday school, Started visiting prisons and loved to care for the elderly. But the really exciting Georgiana was the Duchess of Devonshire. Spencer by birth, as a sister to George John, who turned out to become the second Earl Spencer, she was married off to the fifth Duke of Devonshire at just 17. She loved politics, gambling, and the odd affair. Her life was so fascinating, a movie was even made about it. It's got Kira Knightley and is appropriately titled The Duchess. George John, Georgiana's brother and the second Earl Spencer, was quite the bookworm. He was obsessed with collecting books, and his private collection was supposedly well-known at the time. It's said he had 43,000 first editions. Among them were early French and Italian works and rare editions of England's favourites, like Shakespeare folios and even a Gutenberg Bible. John Points, with his classic red beard, was known as the Red Earl. As the 5th Earl Spencer, John made a name for himself as the 1st Lord of the Admiralty, Lord President of the Council, and the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. But John seems to have been George's arch-nemesis. Due to increasing debts, it was John who sold off George's beloved library. The nerve on that guy. Today. The sold collection actually makes up the backbone of the John Rylands Library at Manchester Uni, so at least it's being used for good. Wounded during the First World War, the 7th Earl turned to that scholarly life, and what better way than to keep yourself up to date about your own home? Albert Edward John dedicated himself to keeping the house in order and cataloguing its contents. He even opened it up to scholars to keep the history of the place alive. Known to those who loved him as Jack, the seventh Earl was a chairman to the Victoria and Albert Advisory Council, quite the accomplishment. He wasn't too bad an artist himself. In fact, it's reported that the tapestry work found on the chairs that live in the Queen Mary bedroom were not only designed, but actually embroidered by the Earl. Old Jack, knocking down gender profiles since 1892. Edward John, The 8th Earl Spencer, or as we've come to know him, Diana's father, had quite the exciting life. Not only being a member and chairman of some fancy English clubs and councils, he actually landed in Normandy on D Day and supposedly did so well he was mentioned in dispatches. And despite having just recovered from a pretty bad stroke, he walked his daughter Diana down the aisle when she married Prince Charles in 1981. And finally, we find ourselves at the present Earl, Charles Spencer, the ninth Earl Spencer, and actually a godson of Queen Liz herself. How far the Spencers have come from a couple of sheep herders. He's had quite the interesting life himself, went to school at Eton and Oxford, of course. Charles was actually a reporter for NBC News for about a decade, not what you normally imagine an Earl doing in their youth. And on top of that, He's a published author. As a qualified historian, he has five books, two of which are bestsellers. Charles does the normal upkeepy things one must do when they own an estate and a nobility, with new things happening for Orthorpe every year. Make sure you check out the website for what's happening right now and what's planned for the near future. Taking a closer look at the house itself, the thing is pretty big and there just isn't enough time in an episode to go through all 90 rooms. So here are a handful to keep your interest piqued. The saloon that you first see when you walk in used to actually be an open courtyard, where back when you rode horses around everywhere, visitors to the house could dismount. But in 1662, the widow of the first Earl of Sunderland, some gal named Dorothy, decided a roof was needed, and some stairs in oak. Big oak stairs stained to look walnut, which the fourth Earl ended up covering with a carpet from what is now Is Me. The oak bedroom is pretty fanciful. Remember that romantic moment I spoke of a little earlier? Well, that happened in this very room. So in 1775, at a ball celebrating John, who would later become the first Earl Spencer, he and Georgiana Points, his fiancée, along with a select group of family and friends, slipped away to the oak bedroom to be secretly married. And once they were married, everyone went back to the ball with the other guests none the wiser. Winston Churchill is also said to have stayed in this room in 1934 when he was doing research for his book on the Duke of Marlborough. Remember Sarah Churchill, the first princess of Marlborough? That's how the former PM is related to Diana. In fact, A lot of the treasures still around in the house were inherited from Sarah. Speaking of famous connections, a chest, supposedly once the property of George Washington's ancestors, still lives in the house. It's currently known as the Washington Chest, and it's only because of the family relation that the Spencers have ended up with it. The library is used by the family as a sitting room. The room itself is pretty much just how Henry Holland designed it. Except for the ceiling. The plaster detailings in 1877 were added by John McFicker Anderson, because why not? The occupants of the library include 10,000 books, which are all that's left of the once 43,000 strong library brought together by the Second Earl. As we move outside, you might find it interesting to learn that even though the House of Orthorpe sits on 550 acres of parkland and some lovely grounds, the Spencers actually own the surrounding rural estates, adding up to 13,000 acres in all. Now that's a good walk. The aim of the wider estate is to promote a thriving rural environment, which makes a positive contribution to the local economy. The management team at Allthorpe makes sure to cover a wide range, such as forestry, maintenance, farming, property letting. Gardening, gamekeeping, and of course, events and marketing. The Allthought Park has it all lakeside resorts, ancient oaks, and formal lawns. Even fallow deer love a good walk about since the 16th century. The deer are a herd of rare black fallow and are 350 strong. The original formal gardens were supposedly designed by none other than French old mate Andre Lenotte, that we met back at Versailles but there is no evidence that he was ever at or thought. What is known as the round oval isn't an oval at all. It's actually a lake, a round lake. Created in 1868, the lake is currently dedicated to the memory of Diana. In the 1860s, W.M. Toulon was around redesigning the grounds, and he was the one to add in the lake. Back in the day, it was actually used as an ice skate rink for the family in winter. The building next to the lake was bought from the Admiralty House Gardens by the 5th Earl in 1901 and was moved to the estate in 1926. This building is also now dedicated to Diana. You'll also find a black marble on white marble silhouette and a couple of quotes. Diana herself is buried on a tiny island in the middle of the lake. The monument that stands on the island was designed by Edward Bulmer and carved by Dick reed and of course the area has become a sort of pilgrimage but there is no access to the island itself the stables like many historic homes have ceased to be used for their original purpose up until the 20th century they would have been home to around 100 horses and 40 grooms but until not too long ago they were actually used to display an exhibition on the lead characters of the spencer family. And they aren't normal stables either. They're bloody massive, with copious amounts of Italian influence. Historian John Colvin describes them like this. They have no obvious parallels in contemporary Georgian architecture. And another historian, Sir Nicholas Pevsner, also said this about the stables. It might well be argued that the stables are the finest piece of architecture at Orthorpe. Without question, they have immense presence and were meant to impress. Believed to have been built around 1732 by a Roger Morris, probably shortly after redoing the entrance to the house. These days, Awthorpe is more than just a house with some pretty lawns. They have all sorts of things to do for visitors. There's even an Awthorpe Literary Festival, which is the brainchild of the current Earl. In fact, when John Spencer bought the place all the way back in 1508, he made it a point and even wrote a stipulation that the place must be used for entertainment. So you'll find plenty of events going on in the vicinity. In recent years, they've had lunch parties and even a ball for a children's charity. In 2011, a project was completed with the aim to preserve Hawthorpe for those to come. The work the project achieved actually received the Conservation Project of the Year Award from the East Midlands branch of the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors in 2012. As part of the project itself, the house was covered with self-supporting scaffolding, where 40,000 hours of work was carried out by all sorts of craftsmen and engineers. Stonemasons set to work carving 48 tonnes of stone so that the ornate limestone that was starting to decay could be replaced. And the original roof, which was made up of 120 tonnes of lead, was replaced with a 2,382 square metre roof, which coincidentally is waterproof. Which I hear is quite an advantage for a roof. It seems that all this hard work was worth it because the House is now Grade 1 listed. This sense of conservatorship seems to be how the current Earl sees his role in Orthorpe's long existence, with him writing on the official website, I would be proud if, in my final days, I felt I was handing Orthorpe onto my heir in a better state than in which I inherited it. This is a traditional and not particularly original aspiration, but it is heartfelt. 2019 was a pretty exciting year for the estate when the Animals of Althorpe exhibition kicked off. Basically, as a guest, you get taken on a tour of the estate's lesser known residence. I can't think of a better way to spend the day. You can visit the Althorpe estate every year during the English spring and summer. You do have to pay to get into the main house and the gardens and exhibitions around the place, but I hear it's well worth it. So, next time you're in the area, make sure to stop by and to have a little walkabout. If you had fun and feel as if you learned something, give us a subscribe and a review. And even if you didn't learn anything or even like us, give that button a click anyway. You can find us by searching Destination History in all your major social media platforms, podcast providers, and Google. When you subscribe, you'll get an update for any new episodes coming your way so you won't miss out on any exciting destination historical content. As always, all links spoken about, images, resources used, and way more can be found on our website at destinationhistorypod.com. And if you have a building, place, or area of significance that you would like to learn more about, shoot through an email or a message and I'll see if I can cover it in its very own episode here on Destination History.